Thank you, Dan. All right, Acts chapter 16, 6 through 10. And you can pull that up on your church center as well. Get that sermon notes. Have all that right in front of you. Uh, In the course of a day, um, we make small decisions and we make big decisions. Now, we generally don't seek the Lord's guidance or ask for the Lord's direction with the small decisions. At least I don't. I don't wake up in the morning and ask the Lord what I should eat for breakfast or uh, what shoes I should wear today. So I'm not talking about the little decisions this morning, but I do want to talk about the big ones. I want to talk about the ones that have to do with college and marriage and jobs and kids because those tend to be the kinds of decisions When we do seek the Lord's guidance, those tend to be the kinds of decisions when we do ask the Lord for direction. At least I do, and I assume most of you do as well. So it's with these big kinds of decisions in mind. Um, I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning as we get started. First, when you have one of these big decisions to make, How do you seek out the Lord's guidance and direction? I want you to think about that. What does that look like in your life? And then second, as you have sought out the Lord's guidance and asked for the Lord's direction in making these big decisions, how do you respond when you don't get accepted into the graduate school that was your first choice? When you are seeking out the Lord's guidance and asking him for his direction, how do you respond when you don't get offered the job you wanted? Let me ask you the question this way. How do you respond when God says no? Let me give you a little illustration from my own life. Um, my first full-time ministry position was with the Blacksburg Church of Christ in Blacksburg, Virginia. We, uh, Karen and I, worked on uh, the Virginia Tech campus uh, with the Hokies. Uh, And we had married in June, and we started working there in July. And there were a lot of wonderful things about our time in Blacksburg. However, there was also a lot of very difficult things. While we were there, the church split, and there were two of us on staff. Uh, I was the campus minister, and then we had a preaching minister, and he left. And so that made me the only one on staff. And so... I was, I was teaching the one adult class on Sunday morning in the auditorium. I was preaching every Sunday. I was teaching the Wednesday night class. I was managing a campus ministry and doing the youth ministry. Now, the church was about 150, so it wasn't as big as Southside. Now, kind of a fun part of the whole deal is that Karen worked as the church secretary. And so she was a big help. She wrote all my sermons. 
uh, during that season. And so that was great. But uh, Karen and I sought out the Lord uh, during that time, and we decided it was best for us to leave that church. Um, We felt like everyone involved just needed a fresh start. Everyone who had kind of gone through that year together needed to just kind of push redo. And so I let the elders know that I was going to be looking for another position. Now, as long as I was in Blacksburg, I was going to give it my everything, but I was also going to be looking for something else. I didn't know what that something else was, but I was going to be looking. Well, in the spring of 2000, we learned about an opportunity with the Greenwood Park Church of Christ in Bowling Green, Kentucky. They had a spot open up as the campus minister uh, with the Hilltoppers for Christ. So we went and interviewed, and we were really uh, excited about that opportunity. It's a great uh, state campus to work on. Karen is from Kentucky. We'd be moving closer to her family. Karen's best friend, Amanda Jones, grew up at that church, and so we had a lot of connections there. We felt like God was opening up a door for us to be there. But then they offered the position to someone else. And so now what? How do you respond when God says no? Let's look at our text this morning, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Just to give a little bit of background here, um, and this is where we've, we've been these last couple of weeks, but Paul's stated plan, to remind you, for this second missionary journey was to go back and visit all the brothers and, and all the churches and the towns where they had preached the word of the Lord and to see how they were doing, okay? That's what he states in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and this was the extent of his plan. That was it. He, he just wanted to go back, visit these churches, strengthen them and encourage them, and that's, that's as far as he'd gotten with his plan. Um, and so he chooses a new ministry partner, a man named Silas. He was one of the leaders at the church in Jerusalem. They leave from Antioch, travel by land through Tarsus, and they visit these churches, and that's it. That's the plan. Luke tells us that because of their visits, uh, the churches there were strengthened in their faith and grew in their number. And so now what? Have you ever been there? Have you ever said those words to God? So now what? I know I have. Maybe you're currently in a season of wondering about and praying for what's next. If so, then, I have three principles from our text today for those of you who are unsure about what's next in your life. If you're seeking the Lord's guidance, 
and you're asking for his direction with, with one of the big decisions that I talked about earlier, then I have three principles that I think will help you and will speak into your situation. Here's the first one. A map is not included. A map is not included. Although I brought along a map today. And so if we could put that map on the wall behind me and just leave it up for the rest of the time, I'll be referring to it a number of times. This map's also at Church Center. Sermon notes. Shameless plug. Um, You've probably seen a map, uh, this map before, or one like this. Typically, in most study Bibles, there's a map for each one of Paul's missionary journeys. Some of you are such great Bible students that you saw that map and you even knew exactly which missionary journey it was, right? This is Paul's second missionary journey. This is the one that he's headed on. Now, I didn't show you a map when we were studying through his first missionary journey, but I wanted to specifically show you one today because of the point I'm making this morning. When we have big decisions to make in our lives, I'll speak for myself. Most times, I would like for the Lord to just draw me a big map and show me exactly where to go and exactly what to do. Wouldn't that be so much easier? Well, I don't know about you, but the Lord's never done that for me. He's just never handed me a map. And in fact, I don't think that's how it works. However, I do think the Lord provides direction and guidance for his people. But what does that look like? Now, let's take a look at this map on the wall because I want us to get our bearings, okay? So just quickly, the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas left Antioch of Syria, which is over there on the right. They traveled by boat to Cyprus, where they planted churches in Cyprus, and then they went north and hit Antioch, the other Antioch, Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. They stopped in Derby, and then they just kind of reversed their steps back to Cyprus and back to Antioch. That was the first missionary journey, just so you kind of get a picture, okay? Um, Now... The second journey starts again, you'll see it notes it there for you, the second journey starts again in Antioch of Syria, except there's a split. Barnabas and John Mark go to the churches on Cyprus from the first journey, right? So they go to encourage those churches. Paul and Silas head in the opposite direction. They stay on land, they go through Tarsus, where Paul's from, and then they go on to these four major cities in the province of Galatia. Now, these are the Galatian churches, all right? So Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. When Paul writes his letter to Galatians, he's writing that letter to those four churches, these four major churches that they plant there in that region. And so he visits all four of those churches, and then now they're in the other Antioch, in Antioch, Pisidia. In any direction they go from here, they're breaking new ground. They're launching out in faith. They're taking the gospel in the uncharted territory. So now what? What's next? Well, I think these verses that we've read this morning, verses 6 through 10, I think these verses teach us that guidance and direction of the Lord is not always real clear. 
and I think that's helpful. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. And I think Paul writes these words based upon experiences like this one. You see, even these great men of faith, even the Apostle Paul and his companions see things imperfectly. They're not sure which way to go or what to do next because a map is not included. You know, uh, when, you, when you buy a new device for the house, like a remote control or television or whatever, or maybe a new toy for one of the kids, in fine print down at the bottom of the box somewhere are always printed these three words, batteries not included. And then you're like, ah, and then you got to run to Walgreens and get some batteries. Well, when we're born again, when we're raised at baptism to walk a new life in Christ, if you read the fine print about this new life we have in Christ, you'll find these three words, map not included. I know this is going to blow all of the young people's minds right here. This, this kind of couple of rows right here. This one's just going to kind of blow your mind. But there was a time when there were no cell phones or GPS. I know it's hard to believe. It, and we, st- we were still driving. We were driving cars. We weren't on horseback. But it's, it's kind of crazy, right? But let me, let me ask all the old codgers in the room who remember those days when we were driving back then before cell phones and GPS and we'd get lost or be unsure of where to go next, what would we have to do? If you didn't have a map, you had to ask for directions, right? At least that's what our wives would tell the guys to do. (laughs) Wouldn't always do it. But we'd have to stop and ask for directions. Isn't that amazing? Could you imagine doing that today? I'd stop at a gas station, stop and ask for directions. I think there's something important about that old practice of stopping and asking for directions that's important to the faith of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus shares these words with his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. He says, ask... And it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and then the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. You see, the practice of asking, the practice of seeking, the practice of knocking, it builds faith, it grows faith, it strengthens faith. Oh, sure, just handing us a map would be a lot easier on everybody, but, but it doesn't require any faith. Listen, disciples of Jesus are to live by faith, not by sight. Asking, seeking, knocking are the action verbs of a disciple of Jesus. 
And I think that's really important to know. We're not given a map. That's purposeful. But we are given the Holy Spirit, and that's number two. Point two, we have a guide. We have a guide. Best we can tell from our text today, Paul and his companions want to, you can kind of follow along, they're at Antioch, Pisidia. They want to travel west to Ephesus, which was in the province of Asia. That's where they want to go. And this makes a lot of sense. Ephesus was this huge coastal city, a perfect place to share the gospel. However, Luke tells us in verse 6 that they were kept from preaching the word in the province of Asia, get this, by the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a map, but they had the Holy Spirit. So, Paul and his companions come up with a plan B. Have you ever had to come up with a plan B? Their plan B, then, is to try to head north to Bithynia. Their plan B is to go to Bithynia. And if if you notice on the map, directly under where it says Black Sea there at the top, Uh, is where the region of Bithynia connects to the region of Thrace. And at that intersection is a thriving port city called Byzantium. So many words. It will later be called Constantinople and then renamed Istanbul. It too is a large port city, perfect place to share the gospel. However, Luke tells us in verse 7, that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go there. They didn't have a map, but they had the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke does not detail for us exactly how the Holy Spirit kept them out of Asia or specifically how the Holy Spirit would not let them into Bithynia. We just don't know. Perhaps it was a strong inner conviction after a period of fasting and prayer together. Or maybe it was through some outward circumstances that closed doors of opportunity to them in those places. We just don't know. But here's what we do know. Two things. First, the Holy Spirit guides and directs disciples of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not just a retired author of the Bible. The Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us, directs and guides disciples of Jesus Christ. And then second, disciples of Jesus are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so notice again on the map with me, the Holy Spirit keeps them from going into the province of Asia towards Ephesus. Spirit of Jesus won't allow them into Bithynia. So that actually leaves them a very narrow stretch of land in between those two provinces that serves as kind of like a funnel that leads them directly to Troas. And what I want you to get is that going to Troas is plan C for Paul and his companions. 
Have you ever had to go with plan C? And they've taken quite a detour here. You know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Well, they've not taken the most direct route from Antioch to Troas. We're talking about a couple of hundred miles of detour. We're talking about weeks of just walking and praying, wondering what was next, waiting for the Lord. And then it happens. Verse 9, one night while in Troas, Paul receives a vision. It's a man from Macedonia. You'll notice on the map that Macedonia is just directly across the Aegean Sea from Troas. And this man begs Paul to come to Macedonia and help them, to bring the message of salvation to them. And so verse 10, Paul wakes up, shares this vision he has with Silas and Timothy, his companions. Together they conclude that God's called them to go and preach the gospel there. And so they get ready at once, leave for Macedonia. And this leads me to the third principle. The third principle this morning is keep your eyes on the prize. There's no map included. We have a guide, principle three, keep your eyes on the prize. Back at the beginning of my lesson, I asked the question, how do you respond when God says no? I share with you an example from my own life when God said no. I was uh, presented with a great opportunity to do campus ministry at Western Kentucky University. And I pursued it, and then the door closed. Thinking back to that, I could, I could respond in a couple of ways. Number one, I could look at the search committee. After all, it was a group made up of humans. Humans make mistakes. I could chalk it up to they just made a mistake and mistakes happen. I could blame the search process. You know, bringing in several candidates over the course of a couple of weeks isn't the best way to hire a minister anyway. So I could have responded like that, or I could respond by looking at myself. Maybe I just had a bad interview. I mean, it happens. Perhaps I was just a little bit off. Maybe they weren't looking for a a tall, bald guy to be their minister, although I had a lot more hair back then. I don't know. I I can come up with all sorts of reasons why someone would not hire me. So I could look at them or I could look at myself or the third option is I could look to the Lord. And you see, this is exactly what Luke does in these verses. Instead of focusing on Paul and his companions or on what might, what have been going, might have been going on in one of these regions, Luke says it's the Holy Spirit that kept them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. It's the Spirit of Jesus that would not allow them to enter into Bithynia. Luke emphasizes here that it was the Lord who said no. 
And I like that because I need to be reminded to keep my eyes on Jesus. I need to be daily reminded to keep my eyes on the prize because he is sovereign. He's in charge. And so I'm not going to look too hard at them, and I'm not going to look too hard at me. Instead, I'm going to keep my eyes on him. Luke clearly emphasizes that it was the Holy Spirit who told Paul and his companions, no, not just once, but twice. Two great opportunities to preach the word, two closed doors. What now? What's next? You know what's next for Paul and his companions? They had their sights set on the regions of Asia and Bithynia, but God had his sights set somewhere else. And one night while in Troas, Paul received the Macedonian call. He didn't realize it at the time, but God is calling them across one of the great frontiers of the ancient modern world. By sailing across the Aegean Sea, they're going from modern-day Turkey to modern-day Greece. And this is more than just a call to a different province. They were traveling from the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe. You see, Paul and his companions will become the first missionaries on European soil. And so, they were unsure of their journey for hundreds of miles, and God had told them no twice. But they keep their eyes on Jesus, and now they've been called on this great European adventure. And here's how this principle of keeping our eyes on Jesus helps us through uncertain times when God says no. Here's what these verses teach us. We can submit to God's no because we trust his yes. We can submit to God's no because we trust God's yes. Paul and his companions here could submit to God's no twice because they trusted his yes. In the story that I shared with you earlier from my own life, a month after Western Kentucky told me they offered the job to someone else, the Campus View Church of Christ in Athens, Georgia called. And it wasn't the Macedonian call. In fact, it sounded more like a bark than a call. But they asked me if, it, if I'd be interested in serving as their campus minister at the University of Georgia. And the rest is history. You see, we can submit to God's no because we trust God's yes. The Hebrew writer in chapter 12 reminds us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he has now sat down at the right hand of the Father, exalted as our king. See, Jesus submitted to God's no because he trusted God's yes. And we too can trust God's yes. One of my favorite verses is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. There Paul writes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus died for you. Yes, Jesus rose for you. Yes, Jesus lives for you. Yes, Jesus reigns for you. This morning, we can put our trust in God's yes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message to us this morning. Um, I pray uh, for those who are in a season of wondering what's next, that these principles uh, will be helpful and encouraging to them. Lord, we pray that you'll increase our faith, increase our faith, Lord, create in us a, 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 a desire to ask and seek and knock. As we sang earlier about that stirring within us, Lord, stir, stir in us that desire to ask and seek and knock. That's the life of a disciple. Lord, we're thankful for the gift of your Holy Spirit who guides us. Help us to be sensitive. Help us to learn how to be sensitive to his leading. And Lord, when we run into a no, teach us to submit to those no because we trust your yes. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if there's anybody here who has just not submitted to the Lord's yes, you, you've never You've never made the, the, the Jesus your Lord and your Savior. I want you to know that he has proclaimed a yes over you. And he wants you to say yes to him. You can do that this morning by putting him on in baptism. You say yes to Jesus. And live a life, the rest of your life, trusting in his yes. We'd love to be a part of that in your life today. Let's stand together and sing.